Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. This is The Crux in partnership with Google. Hello, James here, and you're listening to the IAB UK podcast. And welcome to The Crux, a three-part podcast series run in collaboration with Google, which takes on the issues at the heart of marketing's future with a range of industry experts to get to The Crux the one question marketers should be asking themselves. In this first episode, we unpack the viewing habits reshaping connection with eBay's head of media strategy and investment, Toby Foy, YouTube creator, Uche Nattery, and Tom Sherwood, product lead at YouTube UK. In my initial conversation with Toby and Uche, we get into the rise of short form content and what that's meant for creators, how brands can stay culturally relevant, And of course, talk measurement in an increasingly fragmented media landscape. But I start by asking Uche about how it all began for her and the incredible subscriber base she's built up on YouTube. So I'm Uche Notori. I have been making content for, I would say, over 11 years now, but I've been full-time coming into my seventh year next year so it's been a long time and I think I don't realize how long it's been until I tell other people and they're yeah. like whoa and I'm like oh, yes yeah, it's, it's actually been a while so I do mainly beauty content but I also dabble in like lifestyle fashion and everything in between basically yeah. and what was that point you say like full-time seven years what was that sort of point when you were doing it before what, when did you reach that point where you're like actually this is something I can like do full on interestingly enough I did go to university mm. so I went to university I studied international relations and English and my plan was to do a master's in right. security and terrorism and then maybe go like into that kind of route maybe become a diplomat who knows but I was also doing YouTube at the wow. same time I know it's so different. very different just sliding doors, I know man. I always think you can do anything at any time maybe mm. that's me being naive but I just thought with YouTube when I was getting to the point of graduating it felt like a big opportunity for me yeah. to go full-time and you know I didn't necessarily have a million followers but I was doing really well in the sense that I was working with brands I really loved mm-hmm. I was creating a name for myself people kind of recognizing mm-hmm. like my value in the industry so I thought it was the best time for me to take the leap and just go full-time and has it changed i mean seven years is a long time in anything with like our world and and digital what sort of fundamentally changed you when you first started doing youtube stuff to where you are now I think the biggest change for me, I would think that anyone who does beauty content would agree, is the switch from people being super interested in the beauty as in techniques and like skills Mm. and what you're actually talking about to the switch from people being more interested in your life and how they still want to see the beauty content, but it's not just enough to sit and do a makeup tutorial. Like people want a funny story or they want an antidote or they want to see you doing it on your mum or they want your best friends involved. It's become a lot more personal and the entire landscape has become a lot more personal you'll see it across and we'll talk about it a bit more later but you see it across all kind of different genres in the industry and do you feel like the audience I mean how much do you know about the people that watch your stuff and has that changed over time as well I think I have a good read on Mm. the average person I think it's important to have a good read about the average person that watches your content because Mm. it's not just a vacuum you are posting content for people and although you might not have a personal relationship with each and every one of them it's important to have an idea of the kind of person that connects with you Mm. because ultimately connection is at the core of everything and despite the rise of short form content actually longer form content has changed a lot Mm. so despite people wanting to see less on short form people want to see more on long form I'll give you an example I used to make vlogs 
and half an hour was the absolute max back right. in the day. No one really wanted to hear you talk for more than half an hour. Now, if you post a vlog that's like an hour long, that's too short. People are like, this is Whoa. not on... Yeah, and you have um, content creators that are solely vlog channels and they post like two hour plus. And someone Whoa. basically told me a vlog is like a movie or a show that you have on in the background. And it's so much easier to have an hour and a half or a two hour vlog playing than having to change it every half an hour and find something new to watch so i think uh, that's because people watch youtube like tv now that's mm, also mm. changed the way people consume videos ah uh, so so maybe the shorter form watching is sort of quite intense i'm not doing anything else but this exactly, longer stuff exactly is podcasty that. almost exactly yeah fascinating and who do you like who are you a fan of who sort of inspired Ooh. you to do stuff on youtube i think when it comes to beauty particularly mm. I've always said the US were at the forefront of that and it's actually kind of the same for vlog content as well. Right. I think they tend to lead in what becomes popular and then we follow. For example, a lot of the first biggest beauty content creators are US-based right. and a lot of the really big influential vloggers are also US-based. For example, you have like Elias Face, Kyra, they're really big vloggers and they're known for their vlogs. Mm. And then you have people like, you know, Karen, I love Sarahi, Jackie, Ina, that are really big beauty influencers and have always been and then they're the ones that start their products and services and they kind of lead the trend in, you know, yeah. influencer-led brands. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Me and you, Toby, are sort of nodding along to that, like we know who those people are, but <laughs> Clearly, they're outside of the sphere of our world. Didn't know it was that transparent. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you were as taken aback as me about this kind of two-hour vlog thing. I mean, yeah. I sort of need yeah, to get some kind of, of ruined some of the, the wisdom <laughs> it needed for me. It really know. has. <laughs> Let's talk about eBay's mission to find better ways to sell for people, planet, and pocket, which is very nice. Tell us a bit more about that and how it sort of relates into media and what you do. I mean, the mission from a media perspective is quite adaptable. Mm. The way we tend to approach it is we try and ensure that it's dictated by the customer. So we sort of have a phrase that we talk around the office around about put the customer at the heart of everything we do. Mm -hmm. And then it's also about understanding the evolving motivations and barriers for customers. But then also in the context of the environment and the context. So at the moment, obviously, the economic climate is quite a challenge yeah. for us. So we take that and use that to see how we can apply it to where, how, and, and when we sort of land those RTBs, those reasons to believe. And, and for us, it's those three that you mentioned, the people being around our seller community, Planet is our re-commerce credentials, and Pocket, which I would say is maybe the most important one currently, yeah. is around value and the spectrum of value and, and offering that for our customers. But the growth at versus brand building piece, again, is, yeah, is a yeah. bit of a challenge and it's a bit of a balancing act. And it's really about understanding when it's appropriate to focus on short-term mm. revenue driving versus longer-term brand building and the mix between buy and sell. And ideally, we want both working together and we call it like the flywheel and try and, and, and generate that. Yeah. And then also how category prioritizations fit into that. And so it's sort of taking that overarching strategy, but really assessing what's happening yeah. in our customers' lives and then making it work in the most effective way. So often on this podcast, maybe it's a hang up with the IAB, we've got this fixation that digital is only ever seen as this sort of very efficient bottom of the funnel uh, thing that's happening. But I mean, you've talked about brand building already. There's a belief at eBay, it sounds like it can do that job as well. It's not just traditional channels that are sort of going to lots of people that are watching intensely. Of course, digital can play that role as well. Yeah, we know it can. And uh, I mean, we operate in a fairly traditional way in terms of media in that we talk about the funnel right, quite yeah, a lot and we yeah. um, discuss how our investment and our tactics are go against different areas of the mm -hmm. funnel. But 
as you said, digital obviously plays a very prominent role in the lower funnel, but it's also critical in the upper funnel. The challenge for us is, I guess, demonstrating the worth of it in the upper Mm. funnel on par with how we assess the lower funnel. But yeah, we would see it as very much key to all areas. You're a weathered hand in media. You've an esteemed career in media. Tell me about your take on fragmentation, particularly when it comes to video and how that's changed probably over your media career. Weirdly, the fragmentation piece, I actually think in some areas it's become less. So, right. as you said, weathered, jaded hand <laughs> in media. But it feels digital innovation, partnerships, areas like that, I feel have simplified or maybe there's less options. I remember there used to be so much new things we could try, formats, partners, brands we could work with. Not sure how effective any of it was, but it was fun to do. <laughs> Video, I think, is the real challenge and the fragmentation there is like becoming ever more difficult to navigate. And when more and more platforms are sort of challenging us for sort of a share of our investment, because we know... Yeah. Our consumers, it used to be a 30-second TV campaign with a decent amount of spend behind it, with VOD supporting it, job done, successful campaign, so to speak. Now it's spread everywhere and there's new partners and even the free streaming sites moving to the paid uh, or the ad models. Every month there's a new thing to consider within the mix. And again, going back to the measurement challenge, it's about trying to bring those in, but then also demonstrate that it's incremental benefit and and it's actually paying back. Yeah. Do, do you find that as well, Jay, in terms of like, the number of options you've got and where you can make and post content has sort of exploded, I guess? Yeah, for sure. And actually, Toby and I were saying earlier about even just with the apps we already have, let's just take short form, for example, and you have mm-hmm. it on shorts and you have it reels and you have TikToks, even trying to figure out what kind of content to put on all of them because consumers will take them in differently so I feel like maybe a year or two ago or maybe before really the rise of TikTok it was a lot easier to kind of in a way recycle content across platforms. Okay create one thing and it can kind of work. Reuse it it everywhere but you just can't do that. Even if we take eBay for example because you guys have an ad that plays at the moment but I've also seen like work that you've done with talent across different platforms and they're so different Mm. because you have to tailor the content for who is consuming it. You wouldn't put what you put on TV on a shorts or put it on reels or put it on tiktok even if you took the same ad you put on tv you wouldn't put that on a tiktok ad it just wouldn't land the same yeah that's fascinating we probably spent a lot of our careers telling people you shouldn't take tv ads and just whack them on everything that felt like that took a mobile being the sort of the classic one you can't put something that people are going to watch in a cinema Mm. squish it down to 10 seconds but feels like that sort of landed now but it hasn't helped the the fact there's still lots out there yeah it's landed it's just moved on yeah so it used to be it was a success if you got an (laughs) asset built for a platform but it inevitably was a cut up of a a longer form piece of video and Uche was saying that she can't necessarily do that in terms of filming a piece of content and cut it up and use it on different platforms we're finding the same now we have to and we have done work very closely with our creative partners Debt to try and ensure that we are designing assets for the actual platform and it can't be for social it needs to be for TikTok it needs to be for YouTube and needs to be very tailored which is another challenge but we just don't see the performance if we run the same thing yeah that's it it's the engagement you see a drastic dip in engagement if you try and reuse the same content and I guess those things come with a additional cost it's additional resource might take longer so again it comes back to the effectiveness bit of we know it's not effective when we just put one thing everywhere but 
proving the effectiveness of, of making bespoke things, I guess. Yeah. Is. The eBay brand team have got very good at making nice. shoots and deliver a lot in a short space of time. Very nice. Tell us about your partnership with YouTube um, and what you're seeing from them. You've worked with them recently on a big message that you've done to the, to the whole of the UK. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so we, I mean, we've worked with, we work with Google quite considerably in terms of our investment profile, but YouTube, we work as a sort of a, a key partner from a video point of view. And also they're very helpful from a, a measurement point of view, going back to what I said about trying to understand the impact. But the campaign that um, I think was most useful for us recently was we had a big brand campaign and we've moved eBay historically invested quite a heavy amount in traditional linear TV. Right. You would say our consumer base probably leans slightly older demographic, and it's maybe quite right, but sort of insight showed that there was a lot of the younger audiences were moving their traditional TV, and in some cases, VOD viewing onto YouTube. I mean, other platforms, but not necessarily accessible via advertising. Yeah. So we pushed our agency partner, Essence Mediacom, to sort of move us to AV rather than TV planning and the focus being on linear TV, broadcast VOD and YouTube premium formats and what is the optimal spend mix across those three to give us the most efficient OnePlus reach. And it completely changed the mix. I think we lost 20% of the TV investment and it went to YouTube and and VOD. And then we worked with YouTube to run a a TAR study to understand, is it actually driving incremental reach? And it showed that it was giving us 28% increments wow. reach, and particularly with the younger demos, which obviously harder and harder to yeah. access. So yeah, for us, it was, we sort of, you sort of know that's the right approach. Everyone talks about the change in viewing habits, particularly amongst younger demographics, yeah. but reassuring to see that the study sort of showed that it was delivering what we hoped. You get one of those wonderful Venn diagram yeah. things that you can visually see. It's very easy to take to people yeah. in the business as well to yeah. kind of prove that it works. Changing gears a little bit, culture, I was at the YouTube big kind of upfront event just a few weeks ago and it just feels like culture and getting your arms around it and understanding it is so so important how do you guys at ebay stay on top of things like trends and and culture are you reliant on lots of the partners who are out there doing this stuff coming to you and, and demonstrating it yeah i'd refer back to that that ethos we have which is keep the um consumer or the customer mm. at the heart of everything we do so we try not to and it's sort of driven down from the top we try not to make it someone's job we obviously have insights and analytics team and it's Mm. more of their job (laughs) but uh, we try and instill this culture of everyone should be on top of understanding what matters to the customer so that everyone should be looking for insights so we try and equip people with the ability to look out for it and understand it interpret it and, and generate insights and in the shorter term and a lot of our forums our weekly meetings whether it's a business review there's opportunities in those sessions to highlight insights or nice. what matters to the customer this week or what is an upcoming seasonal trend that they need to adapt to. So that really helps us. In the longer term, we've tried to add a bit more structure to it mm-hmm. because it can be quite challenging to navigate all of this. So we've created these measurement points where we try and align the output of a lot of our studies or partners, agency partners who bring us trend reports will all deliver at a point in time so that we can review as a group yeah. and we don't just run with every insight we see. It's a bit really overwhelming. Interrogate- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interrogating it. It's yeah. like, what's the one that matters? What matters yeah, nice. for the customer? What, and what can eBay really take advantage of? And How are you doing that, Richard? Because there must be all sorts of, when you get into makeup and beauty, there must be all sorts of different trends that come mm. up. And kind of, how are you keeping your finger on the pulse with stuff like that? Do you know what? When it comes to trends, I always tell people, trends are a really easy way to grow a platform. Mm. But when you think about longevity and kind of what you want out of 
for lack of a better word, like your creative career, they're nice to insert. And actually, if it aligns with content you already do, then it's perfect. Right. But I think sometimes easy to get in the hole of creating trend-led content, yeah. which inevitably will affect your engagement in the long run. And if you want to do it as a business and you do want to work with brands, it's really important not to get pigeonholed into just doing trend-led content. Got it. Because then when you are working with brands, you know, sometimes the content is trendy and sometimes it's just your content mm. and you will see a dip in engagement if you focus too much on being trendy. But I do think it is important to have elements of trend and yeah. content because you need to keep your finger on, do you know what I mean? You need to be very much engaged in what people are doing, but making it work for you. But beauty as an industry has always been powered <laughs> by trends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's a Met Gala or if there's like a new technique, everyone does it. That's a really easy way to get your name out there and for yeah. people to know who you are. So in that sense, yes. But then you get other trends that maybe doing your makeup with kitchen tools. That, with kitchen tools? Yeah, maybe doing your contour with a knife. Which is like for entertainment purposes only, but I'm not going to do my makeup with a knife every day. So, yes, you have to pick and choose which ones you want to jump on, in essence. And I guess, like, no one's got an excuse not to do this stuff now. I mean, the tools yeah. are just there. I mean, yeah. you probably talked about how easy it was. Well, I don't know, how easy was it for you, like, 11 years ago when you are doing stuff? Is it is just as simple as you've got a camera and you do oh. some stuff? I mean, that just feels like that's just... Everyone's got that now. You've got a phone in your hand. There's no reason not to get creative. It is very it's a lot easier now to get creative yeah. and to make something of it. Particularly because I think when I was first starting off, there was very distinct categories of content you could do. Maybe you could be beauty or fashion or lifestyle. Ah, right. Or, you know, maybe you could cook. There's very distinct. But now it's so amazing because, you know, <laughs> you get creators like Mrs. Hinch who blew up yeah, on cleaning yeah, yeah. and now cleaning is such a big industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have ASMR, which is also big. And I think that's the the beauty of short form because everyone has a phone you don't even necessarily need to have the newest phone as long as you have a phone that films in high quality mm. you can film videos anywhere and you can film vertical horizontal so it's really opened up how much people can do yeah. with their phones and you know you don't have to just do beauty if you really like you know there's someone that pushes filled glass like objects filled with things downstairs and it's like that's such you, a you've heard of this you, yeah, yeah and they just push it like downstairs and you just smashes. watch it yeah. yeah there's people that do that and then there's people that have blown off reacting off videos like reaction channels have also yeah. become oh, such yeah, a huge thing as well huge, yeah. yeah they're equally as big if not bigger than the original channels <laughs> so there's so much you can do honestly it's amazing <laughs> but even things like unboxing which feels like such a like a like, random been around yeah, for ages, I know but, but just it's yeah. just like you know that's all pretty new as well so much of my YouTube recommendations and stuff is just our podcast as well now yeah. which I guess is just even a step back removed yeah. I mean you just need some mics you just need to do some stuff and, yeah. and you film it podcasts are incredible because they had their rise during lockdown obviously everyone was mm. indoors but now actually they've been able to almost evolve with the rise of short form and post their clips and yeah, that's given them almost like so a easy, new yeah a new lease and creating content that it's not just your audio anymore it is your visuals just as important you talked about an insight team that you've got at eBay but I wonder working with people like Uche creators like where does that sort of fit within the eBay marketing mix? Everywhere and more and more. We've always, influencers have always been the sort of a key part of what we've done. I would say over the last sort of 12 months, though, it's become much more comprehensive in, in where it fits. Mm. So, I mean, traditionally, I guess you would associate it more with the mid funnel. It's yeah. help you get credibility mm -hmm. and generate consideration in your products. But we're finding that it can work much more than that. So we've done it maybe most comprehensively on fashion and car parts and accessories where we've used it. Influencers, we work with them 
offline, so events, and then that sort of filters through to their mm. channels. It's starting to come through into some of our lower funnel activity. We're seeing that certain platforms brand content just doesn't really work that well for us. Yeah. So we're putting a lot more focus on it there as well. So it's becoming pretty critical to a lot of what we do. It's just on us to remain credible and authentic. So we sort of tend to fall back on the People Planet wallet and the team internally and externally go through quite a rigorous assessment process to understand whether potential influencers or partners are right for us and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Ideally, they share some of our ethos, particularly around things like re-commerce. In an ideal world, they're <laughs> like avid eBay users as yeah. well, yeah. but it's not necessarily always the case. Yeah, We've skirted around measurement a little bit, sort of t t talked about trying to understand kind of what's working. Tools or approaches that you use to people, you know, maybe other marketers that are listening to this that kind of work for you or things you've tried that think ah yeah that's given me a better picture of how things are working or what's happening i would say we're not at a particularly strong place in some areas i think our lower funnel measurement is pretty comprehensive and, yeah. and we have very strong systems in place to do that we are getting better at the mid and upper funnel but i think we're still struggling a little bit to demonstrate the value in a way that all stakeholders within the business yeah, appreciate. Yeah, yeah. And also the thing, the next step is to understand how things connect to each other. Yeah. So that's the sort of journey we're on. Other things that we've experimented on that have been quite useful are starting to work with partners on attention. When we said earlier about fragmentation and everything moving to all these different platforms and formats to have a, a sort of a leveler yeah, feels like that it. isn't a media metric yeah. is quite useful. So we've sort of taken on the challenge of you, the key markets, UK, Germany and US sort of trialling partners to understand what's working. We've had some success and the US are a bit ahead of us in that regard but that's one area that I think is potentially quite helpful for us in the future but more work to be done really you're listening to The Crux in partnership with Google. We'll be back with Toby and Uche in a moment. But to get YouTube's own perspective on measurement insights and best practice when it comes to full funnel marketing, I spoke to Tom Sherwood, product lead at YouTube UK. I jumped straight into asking Tom for his take on what Toby had said about the challenges with top of funnel from a measurement point of view. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I'd also say that I think Toby and his team are a shining example of making the most of what we've got at this point in time. Yeah. Right. And I guess you hear this a bunch from different folk that you work with. Yes. It's a challenging environment, mm. but there are solutions. Yeah. I think the Nielsen task study that Toby's run is like a great, as you said, the, the Venn diagram, what a beautiful way to illustrate that point. Yeah. And if you think if you're a CMO, CFO, yeah. those the conversations are yeah. important, like those kind of simple illustrations of that are powerful. Yeah. I think it would be remiss not to acknowledge that as an industry, we do need to do more to come together yeah. to solve some of those challenges. And there are exciting programs and, yeah. and progress being made there. But if we take one step back, and if I think about you know that point that Toby made around customer centricity and knowing the customer, knowing the opportunity, yeah. I think that's probably the interesting jumping off point, yeah. right? And I guess you must see this regularly again. How often do you know, folk that you've worked with not necessarily know that opportunity or know their customer before they start trying to measure success? Well, I think it's exactly my question for you is so, so much of measurement is thought about at that final bit where the action's going to happen or you want someone to sign up for something or, or change where they think about something. I wonder whether putting it further back or considering it further back in that planning process is a sort of smarter thing to do. 
I wonder if sometimes it's also hard to measure two or three different things yes. at once. Yeah, sort of lack of sort of single-minded. Exactly, and we try and bring creative and media closer together yeah. after a period apart. Yeah. 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 How hard is it for a creative agency to go away and build a, an ad that's meant to do six or seven different yeah. jobs? We'll 100%. measure it using six yeah. or seven different tools. I think Toby's, you know, and the team are again really spot on when they getting to know the customer, yeah. getting to know what the opportunity is, using the right tools, the right mm-hmm. formats to execute against and then wrapping it up with a simple measurement process. I thought his take on fragmentation was interesting in that he said yeah. that actually, I feel like it's sort of slightly better than maybe it was when he first started in media. I'll be honest, I haven't heard that one before, but I, <laughs> I like it. I think it's great. Like, And I can see it, you know, the more... We've often got it caught into these traps where it's all become very competitive. It's yeah. this platform yeah, versus yeah. this platform. It's, you know, TV versus YouTube or TV versus... Or YouTube versus whatever. And actually, it's not necessarily that for advertisers and for marketers or for the viewer, right? It's about a new ecosystem that is fragmenting and changing, but is also coming together in certain ways to prove additional value for the viewer and for the advertiser. Yeah, Uche made the point of, yes, there's lots and lots of choice and you could be doing absolutely everything, but it felt like she knew instinctively what kind of worked for her. And it's through this sort of iteration and testing and learning, but, you know, you can't chase your tail trying to do everything for every single thing out there. She kind of knows what works for her. Her point on culture and trends was very interesting as well. It's good to be trendy, but you can't just be in this hamster wheel of just doing the trendy stuff all the time. Exactly, and I think that's a good illustrative example of the kind of the history of YouTube, really. You know, we started off potentially as a viral platform, celebrating the whimsical, Charlie bit my (laughs) finger, all that kind of stuff. But nowadays, it's a platform where creators like Uche are bringing culture and are sitting at the zeitgeist. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity. So it's a a platform that gives everybody a voice Mm. and celebrates these kind of communities that are built. Like for a viewer, like what a better time to be alive. Like you have access to almost anything that you want. Yeah. I'm fascinated how you guys at YouTube do it. I mean, you must sit across the entire platform and see things bubbling up here and, you know, things that are going to be big in six months here. There's the culture. How do you put all of that together in a way that's going to be useful for someone like Toby or a brand to look at and go... If you're thinking about stuff, this is the stuff, this is the on the pulse stuff you should be thinking of. There's two points there, Mm. I think. Firstly, it's very organic amongst that kind of endemic creator culture and and, and community that sits alongside a kind of platformed, like, broadcast and and publisher, Mm. you know, style content. And I'm expecting a klaxon to go off at at some point, but also, like, we're increasingly using (laughs) technology such as AI to bring this together and make it... Yeah, But it's true, like, the the only way that you can really start to kind of wrangle this kind of size is to use the latest technology and point it at delivering great results for advertisers. And again, it's folk like Toby who are really kind of harnessing that to deliver value for their businesses. YouTube's Tom Sherwood there with a blinding game of digital advertising bingo. Right, to wrap up, let's head back to Toby and Uche for their final thoughts on what this is all about. The crux of getting results. Here's Uche on her ideal brief from a brand. I think the best briefs I get from brands are when it's obvious that the PR or whoever your contact is has actually watched your content. I know it sounds so simple, but (laughs) oftentimes I think brands focus on different metrics than I would say are important. But when you get a brief in or when you have a brief that is quite flexible in the sense that you can give your feedback and that's another thing for talent actually, Mm. not being afraid to give your feedback on a brief because, you know, sometimes it's really difficult to make tailor-made briefs for each talent, but understanding that if a brief is quite broad you can jump in and say okay well this is how my audience would receive this a little better would work really well and actually ebay's advert before 
Can I talk about Love Island? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. eBay's yeah, advert. Before, yeah. <laughs> more, talk about it more. <laughs> they had a really good rollout of adverts before Love Island mm. and I recognised maybe a few of the talent and it was really cool for me because they were all so different and for a consumer watching that, you're hitting so many different people that would recognise different talent mm. but not necessarily for the same thing. So you had like the ones I recognise, Coco, who's really big on TikTok, Lena, who's not necessarily the biggest, but has incredible content and has been around for so long, particularly on Instagram. She's a fashion content creator. And then you had Jordan Haynes, who was on Love Island, but made a really good transition to fashion content. Right. And it's like, they all serve very different audiences and you've hit so much yeah. just from having three very different, not necessarily the biggest, but very different very nice and it maybe goes back to that point of sort of not creating the same thing and getting everyone to say mm, exactly the same line exactly. in the same way it just feels like such a such a no-brainer doesn't it other tips or sort of advice that you would give to other marketers toby in terms of when they're working with creators and they're trying to do this stuff yeah i actually think we have the same advice but from the other <laughs> yeah. side i think it is about ensuring the fits there i don't think it's necessarily about going out and identifying influencers who have the biggest scale and, yeah, and they yeah, just yeah. happen to be within the category that you want to, to market. <laughs> it is about understanding the fit and I take no credit for it. The, the social team and agencies at eBay, the process they go through to assess the appropriateness of a, a partner for eBay yeah. and, and vice versa as well. I think it need, like, to Uche's point, it needs to work both ways. Mm-hmm. So we really focus on credibility and authenticity and, and ideally that, as I mentioned previously, like that shared values is important to us. Yeah. If they're familiar with the platform, it certainly helps and, and we've seen huge success in the car parts and accessory space where there's a guy called Matt Armstrong who he was rebuilding supercars using eBay a lot of the time. So partnering with him is a natural fit. And you really see that come through in the content and how he shows up at some of our live events. And similarly with fashion, it's all about us trying to build our credibility in the space. So we really wanted to work with people that they're credible within the industry, but also they share the pre-loved and and re-commerce values that we do. Uh, It's quite critical for us. Oh, actually, I have another example, Mm. which is quite interesting. I know someone, she's Dajanae. She's primarily a fashion content creator, but she's really, she's got a really incredible interior eye. And she used to get a lot of pre-loved interiors from eBay. Ah. So she's worked with you guys recently, not on fashion that she's known for, but more for like you know, a little bit of fashion, but also, you know, decorating her home. So it's really cool. So you get it both ways. And her, and her channel name is <laughs> there. I take that, that, that makes that point you made earlier, yeah. which is like, in an old world, you'd yeah. be like fashion yeah, or yeah, you'd yeah. be this. But yeah. now you can be lots of things. Yeah. People want to know about your life. They exactly. just want to know about... I, I, yeah, I love that. Yeah, really cool. Final word with you then, Itche. We talked a bit about trends and not being too trendy earlier on. But I loved your sort of kitchen knife thing. What, give, give us something that's bubbling up now that people listening to this and get excited by. Nice um, trendy thing that is ASMR. Oh, this is all the yeah, all of this stuff. Yeah, nice. Anything that you do, whether you do unboxing videos or sometimes I do my makeup videos, as ASMR is really huge. You just got the mic turned up really, really, really loud. <laughs> really, people are like tapping on things, but please stop tapping on things. Like there's other ways to do ASMR, but yeah, that's really cool. And pretty much anyone can do that. You can cook in silence. Uh-huh. People just like to watch the process of things. You watch out for some ASMR content yeah. from eBay then. eBay, <laughs> done, love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Heard earlier, you were talking about your journey and how you got into creating content. For people listening to this, what advice would you give to creators who are like, I feel like I've got something, but I really want to get into YouTube. How would you do it today? So interestingly enough, I've always found that despite someone's popularity or growth on 
platforms outside of YouTube, they always talk about creating a YouTube channel and how they still want to do long form content in that sense. So I think actually how shorts plays a really good part in that is that it can almost be used as a gateway. So Uh, a lot of people are very good at short form content and do have a knack for that and have built audiences based on short form content. So if you take everything you've learned from short form and you use that on shorts, that essentially helps you build a platform Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people are fearful of starting from zero or you know, putting content out for no one to see. So if you use shorts as a way to build up an audience on YouTube, you can then move to long form content because people are already connected with you in a way on the platform. So it'd be very easy to just transition and say, hey, come and look in on my long form content. And that's it for episode one. You've been listening to The Crux, a three-part podcast series run in collaboration with Google. Next week in episode two, we're unlocking the privacy and content opportunity with Assembly Global's head of consultancy, Femi Taiwo, author and psychologist, Natalie Nahai, and Google UK's privacy lead, Adam Taylor. For now, though, thanks very much for listening. This is The Crux in partnership with Google.